Hey, great to have you here this morning. My name is Darcy. I'm the lead pastor here at Generations. And thank you so much uh, for tuning in to our live stream this morning or jumping in online uh, later on, uh, either on the podcast or or picking this up on on YouTube. Uh, You know, isn't technology a wonderful thing? Uh, Fabulous that uh, we're able to, you know, broadcast live for you and uh, uh, just be together, even though we really can't be together in the same way physically. So grateful for a dedicated tech team that's working hard this morning to try and make this happen. Uh, It may be a little bit different way than we would normally do a live stream, but we want to just try and make uh, the experience on your end at at home as uh, best as it can be. And also for our worship team this morning. And, uh, you know, we're kind of hanging ourselves out there. We're not professional musicians by any stretch. And, uh, uh, but the intent isn't to perform. The intent is to lead us as a congregation of worship together. So I hope you entered in and just enjoyed Jesus as we worshiped him together. Uh, it was just awesome to, to praise and worship uh, him this morning. So uh, just so you know, this is not the first time that I've preached to an empty church. Believe it or not, when I was first starting out in ministry, I would practice preach most of my messages. I'd go in, you know, Saturday night or early Sunday morning and I would go through my message with nobody there. And often it actually went better when the room was empty than when the room was full. So I'm kind of hoping that's what happens here this morning. So uh, we're going to continue with this series that we've been doing um, called True Story. Uh, The beginning, the ending, and the in-between. And, you know, with all that's going on and and what we're experiencing, uh, we did put a lot of kind of thought and prayer into this and, and uh, you know, whether we should pause this series and maybe jump into something else uh, right now. But the more we thought about it, the more we realized that uh, this is maybe exactly the kind of stuff that we need to be talking about right now. So we decided that we would just uh, continue with this series. And the basic premise of this series is that uh, stories are how we make sense of our world. It's, it, it's how we understand our world. And there's lots of different stories out there that people believe, that, that people use to explain our world. And these stories are called our worldview. And everybody has a worldview. But not too many of us have really thought about our worldview. Do the worldviews that we have actually make sense? Do the stories that we use to explain our lives and our world actually make sense? Do they line up with the reality of our experience, with what we experience in in our world and in our lives? Um, When we look hard at them, if we really took the time to examine with them, do they have intellectual integrity? Uh, You know, are they cohesive? Do they hang together? Are they comprehensive? Do they really kind of cover everything that we need to cover to really have a picture of our world? And and then here's another crucial question. Uh, When you look at the way that you live, does your lifestyle actually reflect that worldview you say you believe? Because we can say we believe something, but we can be living out a different story. We can actually be living out of a different worldview, sometimes unintentionally, inadvertently, but we need to look at that. And so Christianity is just one of many stories that people use to try and explain our world. But as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe one of the best definitions of, of Christianity is it's a picture of reality. And so we're looking at this Christian story and, and we're asking ourselves, does it really line up with what we experience in the real world? Does it line up with reality? 
Does it tell a cohesive story? You know, does the, does the parts, do they all fit together? And, and is it a comprehensive story? Does it really cover everything that, that needs to be covered? And then another question is, is if you say you believe this story, are you really trusting your life with it? So here we go. Uh, last week, Pastor Dallas talked about the beginning of the story and how the Christian understanding of the world starts with God and how the story really is about God. So, you know, if, if the Christian story were to be made into a, like a Hollywood blockbuster movie, the lead actor and character in the story would be God. The story is about him. And that movie would be a very different movie than the movie that would be made by those who buy into a, a naturalist kind of worldview that says there is no God, that God's just a kind of part of our overactive imagination as people. Uh, that movie is also very different from the movie that says that God is in everything or, or a God is everything and that we as humans are actually God. You know, we just don't know it. Those are very different movies because the understanding of God that they have is very different than who the ancient Hebrew scriptures reveal God to be. So when we look at the Christian story, it's, it's pretty clear. It starts right off the top with, with the verse that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, it starts with God. And it starts with God creating our world. And you read the creation account and the creation account unfolds, and then it ends with God creating something absolutely amazing. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. Because the creation account ends with God kind of creating what is kind of the climax of creation. And that's the creation of human beings. Here's one of the most important verses in the Bible. It's, it's Genesis 1:27. And it's so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And in the original Hebrew, uh, this verse is actually poetry. It's the first poetry in the Bible. It's like God got so excited about, about creating people, he wrote a song. He, he wrote this beautiful poetry to celebrate this climatic moment of creation. Now, even if you don't consider yourself a Christian, you've probably heard the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, you know, there's a garden, uh, they're naked, uh, there's an apple, there's, there's a, a serpent or, or a snake, and, and we'll get to some of that in a moment. But here's what I really want us to think about off the top. Uh, most people don't realize just how revolutionary the creation story actually is. You know, part of it is because so many of us are so familiar with it and we take it for granted. Uh, you know, we miss the significance of it. We don't understand actually how innovative it is, how groundbreaking it is when it comes to understanding our world and especially our place in this world. Uh, you know, so often, especially in today's world, uh, the Genesis account gets discounted as just kind of this foolish myth that, you know, we live in a scientific age. How could Genesis 1 be true? It's really just a fable that should be forgotten. But have you ever really looked deeply into what this story actually says, not only about our world, but about who we are as, as humans? 
For example, when you look at this story, we learn that, number one, humans are physical creatures. And you say, well, duh. (laughs) But actually, that's a pretty profound thought because it says that, you know what, we are not actually gods in physical bodies or we're, we're not really superheroes. One of the crazy movie series that came out a few years ago uh, it was kind of a, a fun one to watch, um, was uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Anybody watch Guardians of the Galaxy? Um, towards the end of the first movie, uh, there's a twist. And we find out that the lead character who was supposed to be from Earth is actually only half human. And the other half of this guy is... Well, we're not really sure what the other half of this guy is. He's kind of godlike because he actually has these superpowers. And, you know, that kind of thinking works great for Marvel comics and, and it works for Greek mythology. But the Christian story actually doesn't go there. Humans are not gods in physical bodies. We are not, you know, masters of the universe. In fact, we're created beings. We were created when God created all the other material stuff that he created. In fact, here's what the Genesis account says. Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and the man became a living person. I did a wedding yesterday and I I used some of this this passage and uh, I looked at the, the groom the, the husband to be there. And I said, you know what? When, when God made you, he made you from dirt. And that's, that's really where, where we came from. As, as humans, we are created beings. We owe our existence to God. God made us from the dust and he breathed life into us. And he's the one who sustains us every moment. Uh, philosophers would say that we're contingent beings. We're contingent on something else. We need to eat. We need to breathe. We need, we, we need something to sustain us. And so the human beings, uh, as humans, we're physical creatures. And secondly, the human body, we need to understand, is precious and essential to our identity. When you dive into this story, this is is one of the things that, that we discover. And again, it may not seem very profound, but actually, this is a very different story than many popular philosophies and many popular religions. Uh, For example, ancient Greek Roman philosophy saw the natural world as, well, you know, essentially bad. Plato, you probably heard of Plato, ancient Greek philosopher that lived about 400 years before Christ. Uh, He said that humans were immortal souls trapped in a material body. And the dream was to escape the material world and be free. We want to be free from the material world. It's kind of like Eastern religions, like like Buddhism or or Hinduism, that see the physical world as an illusion that we need to escape from. In fact, enlightenment comes when you see that all of this is really just an illusion. And in one way or another, uh, these stories and stories like them tell us that the earth that material things, the things that we see around us, the things that we can touch and we can feel are either not essential or they're actually essentially bad. 
And there's something that humans need to overcome and escape. And the true essence of who we are as human beings is not physical. Actually, a lot of people buy into that idea today that your body really doesn't matter. Um, that who you are as a real person has got nothing to do with, with your, your physical existence, your physical body. And so what you do with your body really doesn't matter. I mean, if you want to sleep around, if you want to just be you know, promiscuous, do whatever you want that way, you know, if it feels good, do it. Well, go ahead because your body is just, well, it's just kind of this carbon-based life form. It's just a, just a piece of flesh. So if you want to do drugs or whatever, you want to experiment with all of that stuff, abuse your body, go ahead. It's just a body. You know, if you don't like your body, if your body is failing or not working for you, then you know what? You can just pull the plug on your body because it's not the real you, you know? So that's where we get things like medical assistance and dying, um, suicide, even abortion, you know, because they're like, whatever, it's just a body. It's just this, you know, this carbon-based biological organism that, that we, can, we can just get rid of. Um, it also comes out in, in things like, you know, if you feel that who you are as a person doesn't line up with your body, then your body's wrong. And so you could be like a, you know, you could be like a, a girl that's trapped in a boy's body or, or feel like you're a, a, a boy trapped in a girl's body, that, that sort of thing. Because they would say your true essence as a human being is not physical. And that your physical body doesn't define you. It doesn't shape your identity. But the story that we read in Genesis actually is a very different story. Because it says your physical body actually is valuable. And your physical body is actually essential to who you are. And, and so, so the psalmist would write, write phrases like a Psalm 139 where it says, Lord, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and that passage just kind of develops this whole thing that, you know, God knows us. He knits us together in our mother's wombs. And, and, and who we are physically is, is precious. Uh, what's interesting is I find that sometimes even people who are followers of Jesus and embrace the Christian story uh, really don't understand the intrinsic value of our physical bodies. When I was a kid, uh, we listened to a lot of old gospel music, a lot of old country gospel music. Uh, one of the songs was, uh, My World is Not My Home, I'm Just a Passing Through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Near, 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 near. Uh, catchy tune. Uh, and, you know, there was lots of talk about, you know, the sweet by and by and uh, escaping this sinful world and, and going to glory. And, you know, all of that is good. But for me, at least, it led to kind of a spiritualized understanding of, of who we are that really it's about kind of the, the, the hereafter and it's about, you know, kind of going to heaven when we die. That, that's what it means to be a Christian. And, and uh, so if you follow that thought through it, it, the thought that comes is we kind of end up as these disembodied spirits kind of sitting on clouds, um, playing harps, eating cream cheese. And that's not really what the Christian story is about. The scriptures actually teach us that, yes, when we are separated from our physical bodies, we will be at home with the Lord. But that's not the end of the story. It's not just about life after death. I think it's uh, N.T. Wright that says it's actually about life after life after death. 
And so the Christian story actually wraps up, not with us just going to heaven, but with the resurrection of our physical bodies and the restoration, the recreation of God's good earth. That's what eternity about. Eternity is about actually a very physical experience. And we're gonna talk more about that when we get to the, the end of the story. But for now, we, we need to understand, we need to respect our physical bodies. We need to value this, this physical world. God made it. It's good. We need to steward it. We, we need to care for it. Now, it's, it's not as good as he originally made it. It, it is broken. We'll talk more about that in, in a moment. But there's even more to the story. Uh, humans are more than just physical creatures. We need to understand that, that human beings actually are also spiritual beings created in the image of God. We have a soul. We have a spirit. Uh, there's a dimension to us that is more than physical. And somehow we have the image of God stamped on us in a way that is unique in creation. And again, because of, you know, kind of the water that we swim in in our world, we really don't understand the significance of that statement. And, and this is, again, one of those places where the Judeo-Christian story really stands apart. Uh, Gregory Kukul puts it like this. He says, um, it tells us that in all the world, talking about the Judeo-Christian story, it tells us in all the world that God created only one creature who was in a unique and important and almost indescribable way like himself bearing his own likeness, having a soul imprinted with his very image. Now, that's not to say that we are gods. It is to say, though, that somehow we're made in the image of God. And no matter how old you are or how young you are, whether you're small or disfigured, no matter how strong you are or how weak you are, regardless of where you live, regardless of the circumstances of your life, you are still a beautiful creature because you bear the image of God. You're valuable. You're precious. Well, how does that story and that part of the story impact our world and our understanding of the world? Well, really, it's the source for human rights. Uh, the Bible story, the biblical story teaches us that no matter how people look, uh, no matter where they're from, we all share a common humanity. In fact, there is only one human race because we're all created in the image of God. And, and yeah, I understand that we've got family backgrounds and cultural backgrounds. We speak different languages. We maybe eat different foods, but what seemingly makes us so different is nothing compared to what actually makes us the same. Because we're created in the image of God, we share a common humanity. And because of that, every person is precious. Every person is valuable. And you know, if you lose that piece of the puzzle, bad things happen. Uh, for example, one of the primary beliefs of Hinduism uh, is this idea of, of karma and reincarnation and, and the caste system. And basically the idea is you just kind of keep going around in, in life and uh, uh, this life that you're living now is the result of how you lived your last life. So if you're a bad person, you're going to have a tough life. 
And on the surface, you know, that seems like a fairly benign, harmless story. But in reality, here's how it works out. If I believe this story of karma and I see you suffering, why should I help you? You're just getting what you deserve. You, you earned your position, your station in, in life, so suffer through it. So the idea of human rights didn't come from an Eastern religious worldview. Then, of course, last week, Pastor Dallas was talking a little bit more about uh, naturalism, the, the story of our world that says there is no God and that you know people are just highly evolved carbon, carbon-based life forms. And, and uh, that story gave birth to something called scientific racism. And it was uh, kind of a pseudoscience that sought to prove the existence of a master race. And of course, that led directly to the gas chambers of World War II. And so when you take God out of the picture and you take this idea that people are all uniquely valuable and and created in his image, you get things like Nazi gas chambers, you get things like communist gulags, you get things like uh, the Cambodian killing fields, because that story says, you know, life is not sacred. It doesn't matter. But when you understand that all of humanity is created in the image of God, you get a very different story. And, and you, get, you get very different consequences because when, when you live out of that story, all of a sudden you have people that would reach out and, and, and take infants that had been disposed of and adopt them. You get the creation of orphanages. You get the creation of hospitals. You get the creation of food banks. And, and you get the, the social justice moving forward, the, the abolition of slavery. You get anti-human trafficking movements. You get pro-life movements. Uh, because the human or, or the Judeo-Christian story brings a dignity, a dignity to humanity that isn't found in other stories. There's there's a profound dignity that that comes to every human life. Now, as followers of Jesus, have we always got this right? No. But I think if you go through history, you'll find that we've gotten it right more than we've gotten it wrong. In fact, this understanding has had incredible influence on our Western worldview, so much to the point that, that most people don't understand where the roots of it really is. But here's another idea that comes from this creation story. We are spiritual beings created in the image of God. And that means that we are specifically and uniquely created for relationship with God. We're created for relation. We can actually have friendship with God. You see, God is a personal being and he made us as personal beings. And so there's this, we've got this unusual ability to communicate and to think uh, to reason, to express ourselves, to dream, to, to create, to understand. And that reflects who God is. And it enables us to relate with him. In fact, when you read more of the story in Genesis chapter 3, you find that, that God would actually come down and hang out with Adam and Eve in the garden. They, they just had this relationship. They were able to, to communicate. They were able to, to relate to each other in a very unique and special way. Um, And and you know what? Actually, that's why I think 
a lot of us find, you know, this social distancing that we're supposed to do right now really hard because we're, we're created for relationship, relationship with each other and relationship with God. Uh, the creator interacting with, with his creation, the Lord and the sovereign king overall having sweet fellowship with these intelligent, self-aware, creative beings that bear his image. And you read the story there how God made these creatures and these creatures that we called humans and he gave them everything that they need to be happy, everything they need to live fulfilled and satisfied lives, everything they need to live out God's good purpose for them. But friends, we need to understand that the most precious thing that God gave us was himself. This ability to relate to him, that the joy of being in his presence, the joy of being a friend of God. The reality is, is that, you know, I don't think we really even have a clue of what that would have been like. Uh, because of our world, the, the world that we live in every day, it's so far from that story that, that we're talking about that we can't even come close to imagining what it must have been like. Uh, because, you know, right now we, we look around our world and it's, well, it's not the Garden of Eden anymore, is it? Uh, paradise has been lost. And in fact, if there's one thing that most of the major stories and, and worldviews agree on is that there's something pretty terribly wrong with our world. That things are not the way that they're supposed to be. In fact, this, this idea is so painfully obvious that, that the brokenness of our world is actually one of the main objections that people have with the existence of God, at least the kind of God that Christians believe in. People say, you know, if God is who he says he is, then why is this world such a mess? Now, why is there so much evil in the world? Why are there wars and why are there pandemics and why is there pain? Why is there cruelty? Because, you know, when we look at our world, that's what we see. We see pandemics. We see disease and pain and suffering. And we see cruelty and, and evil and violence and crime and, and warfare. And so a lot of people look at our world and say, you know what? I can't believe in a God who allows all of this. I, I can't be believe that, you know, this because if there, if there was a God, wouldn't the world be a different place? I mean, especially the, the God that the Christians say and the Christians talk about, a God who's good, a God who is all-powerful, as the, the theologians would say, a God who is omnipotent. But when you look at the brokenness of, of our world, you know, either God is not good or God is not powerful. Because if God was really good, you know, he wouldn't let this kind of stuff happen. Or if God was powerful, you know, he'd do something about it. And many people look at our broken, evil world and go, you know, I can't believe in that kind of God. And this problem of evil is a huge issue for many people. But that's because they really don't know the story. 
at least the Christian story, because the Christian story actually does explain why the world is broken. Because there's Adam and Eve, and there's a garden, and there's a tree, and there's a snake, and you can read the rest of the story for yourself in in Genesis chapter 3. And I know we can argue about the details of, of what that's, you know, kind of mysterious, almost fairy tale esque passage means and, and, and how it all happens. But I would just challenge you, don't get hung up on the details of it because if you do that, you're going to miss the main point. The main point is that there was a, what I believe very clearly was a real time and a real place where a very real rebellion broke out on earth. And that rebellion changed the world and everything in it. I know we, we read that story and go, well, they ate an apple. I mean, like, really? What's, what's the big deal with an apple? <laughs> in fact, I was here in uh, uh, Project 68 a few weeks back. Uh, Ryan Fah, one of our student leaders, was actually talking about this. And he said, when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go find Adam. I'm going to walk up to him and go, really? An apple? Like, come on. <laughs> And, you know, it's kind of fun to think about that. But really, the story's got nothing to do so much with an apple and everything to do with rebellion. You see, God is all-powerful. It's true. But there's something power can't do. Power can't make somebody love you. You know, we, we can go, you know, you have to love me. I demand that you love me. You, you've got to love me. And, and frankly, over the years as a pastor, I have counseled a few broken hearts over unrecredited love, love that's not returning. But, and I try to explain, you know, if you try and force love, it doesn't work. You can't force love. You're chasing somebody and, and, and you just, if you keep chasing them, you're just going to run away. Finally, at some point, you've got to back off and then leave it up to them whether they'll keep going or whether they'll come back to you because you can't force love. For love to be love, it's got to be something you choose. And so part of the amazing qualities that God gave us as humans was an astounding level of freedom. Freedom to love. Freedom to love God. Or not. And when you read the story, you find that man did not use his freedom well. And instead of using his freedom to love God and to honor God, he used his freedom to rebel. And when God's children rebelled, when they disobeyed their heavenly father, they damaged everything. And, you know, if you're a parent, I think you understand this. You know, you don't let your kids play full-on baseball in the living room, right? Uh, you know, with, with, with real hard balls and, and hard bats because they're going to break something, right? They're going to break the TV. They're going to break a window. They're going to break somebody's skull. You know, so, so we've, we've got boundaries we, we put in place because we have insight and understanding that sometimes our kids don't have. We know stuff about the world and, and how it works. And, and sometimes our kids don't have the maturity to understand the consequences of their actions. And so we say, hey, don't do this. Here's the boundaries, Because we don't want them to break something. We don't want them to break 
the TV or the window or an arm or their neck. Uh, We don't want them to break themselves or their life. But when Adam and Eve rebelled, uh, they broke boundaries that God had put in place for a very good and important reason. And they literally broke the whole world. They broke God's heart. They broke his world. And they broke our souls. And you see, this is why there's evil. This is why there's suffering and pandemics. This is why bad things happen. Because bad things happen in a broken world. And again, Kukul says, our world is exactly the kind of place we'd expect it to be if the story were true and not just religious, wishful thinking. Trouble, hardship, conflict, pain, tragedy, evil, they're all part of the story. It's all part of, of how the Christian story actually lines up with reality. It's, it's the result of broken boundaries. It's the result of rebellion. But here's something even more important, and, and this is where we're going to wrap it up. The story isn't over yet. You know, we can talk about the rebellion. We can talk about what, 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 what man did and the consequences, all of that. But friends, we need to understand the story isn't over yet. And, and when you get preaching a series like this, man, it is really hard not to jump ahead in this story. We're actually just in, in chapter three of a story that is hundreds of chapters long. And uh, I don't know if you ever watched the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the, the director's cut, you know, the three movies. It goes on because it's a big story, right? And it tells us big story. Well, the story that we're in is a big story. And it's not over. And so we've got lots of people watching this live stream and our worship team is going to come back and we're going to do one more song. And we're live streaming this and you're at home today because of a a situation that we've never faced before. And maybe you're wondering, you know, where is God in all of this? How could a good God allow this to happen? Well, some of it is because humanity was given a priceless gift. It's freedom. And man has not used that freedom well. And there's consequences to rebellion. But the other story, or the other thing that we need to consider is that the story isn't finished yet. And then you know what? The story wasn't finished for Adam and Eve. Yeah, they rebelled, but in that same story, God came looking for them. God came and and found them, sought them out, and he didn't turn his back on them. He didn't abandon them. In fact, he set a plan in motion to save them, to redeem them. And we're going to talk more about that plan in the next few weeks. But friends, God didn't turn his back on Adam and Eve, and he hasn't turned his back on you. He hasn't turned his back on us. In fact, we were still created for relationship with him. And you are still uniquely valuable. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the goodness of your grace in our lives that in spite of our failures, in spite of the things that we've done, Lord, there's still something going on that is bigger than we could ever understand or bigger than we could ever know. Lord, thank you for the value that every single person watching this live stream has. Lord, your 
love for them, the, the unique image that you've placed on them as creatures created lovingly by you stamped with your image. Lord, may that understanding of, of that reality come alive in our hearts. And Lord, may we know that, that you want relationship with us, that you are with us. Lord, even as we're scattered around this city and around the world this morning watching this live stream, Lord, I thank you that you are with us, that your hand is on us. And Jesus, we just want to continue to give you praise and to dig deep into our faith and our understanding of who you are, even this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.